0: Something that we say a lot around here, you guys will know this, you guys will have heard this, and we believe this to be very, very, very true. Something we say a lot around here is that God has a life for you. You heard that before? Do you believe that that's true? I want you to turn to your neighbor and tell them, in case they haven't heard yet, you tell them God has a life for you. Go ahead. He does. He does. You see, because God created you, God loves you, God is for you, God has good for you and plans for you. He has a whole life for each one of us. And he has not promised that it's going to be a perfect life or a pain-free life, but it's a good life. It's an abundant life. It's a life that is full of love and joy and peace and hope and strength. It's a life that has purpose, like you can actually wake up in the morning and know that you are on this rock that's spinning around the sun for a reason, according to God, like that's encouraging to me. It's a life of fulfillment and of satisfaction and significance, like you, according to God, can actually have your life count for something. Do you guys wanna have your life count for something according to God? Yeah, three of you do, okay. I do, I know you do too. God has a life for each one of us. And this life has a foundation to it. Somebody say foundation. You guys are very smart people. You know about foundations. There's something that you build upon. When you have like a house or a structure of some kind, you don't just build it and then plop it down on the ground. You want it anchored and tethered and secured and built on a cornerstone, a rock, a foundation. You guys know that If you are built on a bad foundation or a wrong foundation, say your house, for instance, it can lead to a whole bunch of problems. Your house can like shift and settle and it can cause structural damage. You have like a crack in your foundation somewhere. It can let water in. That's always fun. Um, Mold and mildew and all that kind of stuff can develop. There's a whole host of problems that can develop if your foundation isn't proper, And the same is true for the foundation of the life that God wants you to live. This life has a foundation, and I'm going to tell you what it is. I won't make you guess. It is a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'll say that again. The foundation of the life that God has for each one of us is a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus. It's about being saved by Jesus, coming to Jesus, trusting in Jesus, walking with Jesus, abiding in, loving, worshiping, obeying, serving Jesus. It's all about him. Somebody say, it's all about Jesus today. It's all about Jesus. Jesus. And just like in life, when you build on the wrong foundation, it causes problems, And tragically, so many people don't build on the proper foundation as God would define it. They're building their life on something. They're they're putting their eggs in some basket. They're putting their hope in some place But it doesn't swirl around this living, breathing relationship with Jesus. There's all kinds of people who look for purpose and fulfillment and a life through worldly things, totally apart from God. Those things don't satisfy. They don't last for long. They're not enduring enough. They don't work. There are some people that know, oh, God must have something to do with this life that I've been given, but they still don't really get the foundation right. There are lots of people that say, yeah, yeah, okay, I need God in my life, so, I mean, I believe in God, there I go. The Bible says, hey, good for you, you believe in God, even the demons believe and they shudder. That's not enough. I don't know about you, I wanna come out like at least a little bit ahead where the demons are at, okay? Some people say, well, I go to church. Great, glad you're here. I go to church too. I get paid to be here. So beat that, right? It's about more than that though. Some people say, oh, well, I'm a good person. I'm a moral person. I say, good for you. Your mama raised you to be nice. That's great, but that's not enough. Some people say, I even pray sometimes. We all know that lingo there. You go about your business and only when you need something or you're in a desperate situation, then you'll throw a prayer up to God. And for some people, they say, hey, that's enough. There's my God shot in my life. But it's more than that. It's a relationship with Jesus. Everything that happens in this life, to us, through us, in us, around us, is supposed to happen according to God from the context of I'm with Jesus, I belong to Jesus, I'm living for Jesus, I want to please Jesus, my allegiance is to Jesus. Are you getting the point so far? Good. Your ability to live the life God has created you to live depends on the condition of your foundation, your rootedness in Christ, your walk with Christ. And that's what we're gonna talk about in God's word today. We are gonna read the Bible, I hadn't forgotten. Turn in your Bible this morning to John chapter seven, verse one. Phone Bible, paper Bible, it's on the screen here too. In John chapter seven, we're in verses one through 24, we're gonna see six signs that you may be building on the wrong foundation. We've established what the right foundation is. We're gonna see six signs that you might be on the wrong one. So let's kind of meander through this together. The first sign that you might be on the wrong foundation. That's just a simple one. It's you're hostile against Jesus. Somebody say hostile. Hostile. You even said it with hostility in your voices. So well done. Very simply, it says this. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. The Jews in question there, that's talking about the Jewish religious leaders of the day and those who kind of followed and hung around them and, and were under their influence. They were very hostile against Jesus. Matter of fact, they wanted to kill him. They said, if he comes up in here, we're gonna end him, finish him, silence him. So just right there off the hop, we've established life is about being close to Jesus and they're totally against Jesus, so they're missing it. And you say, well, that doesn't really have anything to do with me because I wasn't there at the time. I was not a Jewish religious leader and I don't wanna kill anybody, so this can't be talking to me. Well, let me just tell you this. Hostility against Jesus takes on many forms. You may not want to kill anybody. You might not be set on murder. I would say that's a good thing. Let's continue that. But hostility isn't always that sinister in appearance. Sometimes people are hostile against God just in the, when, the, when the name of Jesus is mentioned, they bristle. Oh, you're God, he's probably not even real. Your God, oh, he's unloving, or he's cruel, or I don't want to have anything to do with him. That's hostility. Some people say, well, I'm okay with the idea of God, but I just don't like or I don't agree with some of the things in the scripture, so I reject that. I reject that, God. That's hostility. Sometimes even we as Christians can take on a little bit of a hostility against Jesus. There are times in our lives where our behaviors and our thoughts and our actions are do not line up and correspond with his word and with his will and with his desire for us. But sometimes we just are bent on continuing in those paths. That's hostility against Jesus. And, and what I would say to you is this. Any form of hostility or resistance against Jesus means that you are not properly grounded and footed on that foundation. This hostility, by the way, is no surprise because look what he says in verse seven. He says, the world hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. You ever wondered why people aren't in the world just running in droves, super excited to to get to know the Lord a lot of the time? Like we know the Lord, we know how good he is. We're like, why don't other people get this? It's because the world hates him. The world hates the gospel. And that's because... As human beings, our eyes have been blinded in sin, right? And when Jesus comes along and he says, you need to repent, you need to be saved, you're not perfect, you need to change, people say, no, no, I reject that. So any kind of hostility against Jesus, just very simply, that means that we're not properly grounded on that proper foundation because we're supposed to be doing this with Jesus. Let's go, arms open wide, I'm walking with you. But when we cross our arms or push him away, that's not the life he has for us. Makes sense so far? Good. Second one then, sign that you're building on the wrong foundation in your life is that you view God as someone to be Manipulated. As in, God is there, yeah, I believe in him, he exists, and I'll just pull the string or I'll ring the bell when I need something, and he'll come running, and he'll do whatever I want him to do. That's how I see God. I mean, it sounds silly, but that's the way we act sometimes, right? God is just there to to bless us and do our every whim, and not sure that's really how it's supposed to be. So it says this in verse two, now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. We're gonna pause and sidebar on that. How many of you know what the feast of booths is? Well, that's okay, because I didn't really either. The feast of booths was a, or is a major Jewish holiday. It's a high holy week among the Israelites. And it had its origins all the way back in Leviticus chapter 23. Somebody say that was a long way back in leviticus 23 god ordains for his people of israel to, to do this feast of booths and it recalls and recounts three things it, it is a reminder for, for god's people that he brought them out of slavery in egypt it's a reminder that he led them through the wilderness through a hostile territory and that he led them into the promised land Got that? Those three things. That's what the Feast of Booths is about. That's what it commemorates. And during the Feast of Booths, what God's people would do is they would leave their homes and they would go out and set up tents or booths or shelters of some kind, and they would stay in those for a week. To recount how their ancestors, when they were on their journey from Egypt, they didn't have big houses and palaces to live in. They lived in tents and shacks and booths and shelters and things. So that's what that's all about. And the Feast of Booths was not just a device to get you to look back. It's supposed to, in your mind, say, oh, as I look back and I remember that God was faithful to my ancestors, I'm remembering that he's the same God now as he was then. That means he's going to be faithful to me as he was to them. I am going to be okay. He is going to get me through. That's what it's about. Now, as Christians, do we tend to celebrate the Feast of Boots? I have not. Some of you are like, I'm okay not like camping out in the field for a week anyway. The reason why we don't celebrate the Feast of Boots is that Jesus has fulfilled the Feast of Boots. Let me explain. Remember I said it's about three things? It was about God bringing his people out of slavery in Egypt? Well, as Christians, we believe that Jesus has led us out of the slavery we were in to sin, amen? The Feast of Booths was about God leading his people through the wilderness, through a hostile territory. News flash for you, we live in a hostile wilderness territory right now. I don't know the last time you really stopped and looked, but things aren't going tremendously well out there, right? And you know why? It's because the world is not our home, This is not where we belong. Our citizenship, Christians, is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're in a hostile territory, but God is faithful. Jesus is walking with us. He's leading us through this terrain that we're on. How many of you know life is not perfect? How many of you know that Jesus is perfect? The third thing about the Feast of Booths was to remember that God led his people into the promised land. Well, I again have news for you. Jesus is preparing a place for us. That's our promised land. He has gone before us to prepare a place for us in a place where all is new and all is well. Gas is certainly not $2 a liter up in there. And as Christians, when this life is over, we're going there. That's where we're gonna be. We're gonna be with Jesus all the time, in his presence forever. Is that a good day, anybody? Yes. So that is why we don't celebrate the Feast of Booths because Jesus has fulfilled it. We celebrate him. Okay, that was a fun bus stop. Let's come back on the road here. The Feast of Booths was at hand. So Jesus' brother said to him, leave here and go to Judea that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, these things would be like the powerful things he's done throughout the book of John so far. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. So that sounds like pretty good so far, right? That sounds like his brothers are giving him the pat on the back. Hey, Jesus, you're really something special and you want to be famous, right? Because who doesn't want to be famous? So why don't you go on to like the bigger population centers where there's going to be more people and you can really, really get famous because that would be so awesome for you. It sounds like that's what they're saying until you read verse five. What does verse five say? Not even his brothers believed in him. So that tells me that whole spiel they're giving him is not really what it appears to be. It's not, yay, Jesus, we know who you are. You're the savior of the world. you are come to reconcile people to God. You're gonna die on the cross for their sins. They don't believe that. So, what's their angle? Why are they telling them to go and be famous? Well, if I know anything about human nature, I would submit to you it's probably because they think if Jesus goes and gets famous, that's going to rub off on them. It's the way it works. That's why people who come into money suddenly have more friends than they did before they came into money. You know what I'm saying? Oh, if I know you and you're rich, famous, important. Maybe you'll send some of that my way, or people will pay attention to me too. I can ride on your coattails. That's what's going on there. I remember a time when I was in high school, and I went into class one day, and there was no teacher, just not there. And we waited 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes, no teacher. And finally, we're just sitting around talking, like not really sure what to do. Certainly, we were not working. Teacher comes on the intercom just to our classroom, and she says, "Hey guys, really sorry I'm not there. Uh, I'm dealing with an emergency in the office." Okay, and then she said, "Oh, by the way, if Braden Jones is there, can you please send him to the office?" <laughs> Everyone in the room, ooh. So I had no. So I, I went to the office. And I went in, and it turns out what she was calling me there for was completely unrelated. It was something totally uninteresting, like, oh, don't forget, you have a doctor's appointment later or something. I don't even remember what it was. It was nothing. So I turned around and went back to class. And I went in, and everybody was talking, and they saw me come in, and it was all eyes right on me. So I, so I sat down, and I, I remember this. There was a group of girls over here who I did not really know. I did not talk to them. I had nothing to do with them. They didn't know me. Suddenly, they're very interested. What's going on? And I remember, here's what I said to them. I said, I'm not telling you anything. I literally had nothing to tell. But in my mind, I thought, hey, like, I don't know you. You don't know me. You didn't care about me 10 minutes. Do you even know my name? Like, I don't know. They were trying to manipulate me because they thought they could get some like entertainment or some interesting gossip out of it. Listen, we sometimes do that with God. One of the ways we try to manipulate God is that we only approach him when we want or need something. That's manipulating. That's saying, hey, I'm in my lane. I'm doing my thing, living my life. Oh, now I need something. Hey, God, buddy, buddy, remember? Like, we like each other. Little blessing here, please. Answered prayer here, please. And God's sitting there go, like, yeah. Where you been? Right? I'm, I'm saying this from, like, I've done this. I've done this. And this is the wrong approach. To approach God only when you want or need something or you think there's some benefit in it for you, you're you're missing the point. You're missing the foundation. It's not about just approaching him to rub the magic lamp. What about the relationship? Not only is this just the wrong approach and it's arrogant, it also doesn't super work anyway. And I'll show you why. If you keep reading in this section, Jesus says in verse six, he said to them, my time has not yet come. But your time is always here. We read verse seven already. Verse eight says, you go up to the feast. I am not, yet, or I'm not going up to this feast for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. So what's going on there? Is Jesus lying? Like, is he contradicting himself? No, what he's doing, he's showing that he's not a doormat. He doesn't work on their timeline. It's not, oh, well, I was gonna do this, but since you commanded me to do it, now I guess I gotta do it because I'm your servant and your slave. That's not who Jesus is, friends. He's big Jesus. Yes, he loves you. Yes, he answers prayers. Yes, he's good, but listen to me. He is not on a ball and chain. He does what he wants. Our God is in the heaven. He does all that he pleases. He doesn't just work on your timeline. And as soon as you ring the bell, i will got to drop everything because Braden just called and I haven't seen him for six months. No, there's more to it than this. You cannot put Jesus in a box. You cannot push Jesus around. We cannot manipulate God. If this is our attitude with God, if this is how we approach God, friends, it's time to repent of that. It's time to turn away from that. It's time to humble ourselves and approach God, not just for what he might do for us, but because of who he is. How many of you know he's worthy of praise? How many of you know he's good? How many of you know that the life he offers you of just being with him in his presence is a good life? And that's what we should go after. You guys know that today? Good. So that's number two. Number three, sign that you might not be building on the right foundation. And the foundation is a relationship with Jesus. Thank you. Number three is this. You accept some of Jesus, but not all of Jesus. In verse 11, he says, or it says, the Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. Some said, he is a good man. But others said, no, he is leading the people astray. And you can just imagine the conversations that are happening there. Everybody is touting off their own opinion, their own thought, their own belief about who Jesus is. And that happens a lot today. I don't watch Oprah. What? I don't. Oh, it's not even on. See, there you go. I don't know. But if you, okay, when Oprah used to be on, one thing I do know that she used to do, I'm so behind the times anyway, she would go on about, oh, well, my God is like this. And my God wouldn't say this. And it wasn't based on this at all. Just as an example, I'm picking on Oprah. Sometimes people do this. They say, oh, I like the idea that God is good. I like the idea that he's nice and that he's kind. Oh, but I don't like to think about how he's a God of wrath or he's, or he's a God that sometimes is displeased or he's gonna be the judge one day or whatever. And what we do is we get out the scissors and we cut and we pick and choose what kind of Jesus we want. That's what's happening here. I think he's like this. I think he's like this. You guys have heard this too. Other people will say, yeah, oh yeah, Jesus was a good guy. Yep, Jesus did some cool things. That's what I think about him. Some people say, oh yeah, Jesus was a powerful man, but he wasn't God, or he was just a regular man, but he became like a God or whatever. And I say, listen to me, that's not the Jesus that I read about in here. The the, the point is not for us to just construct our own, right? And in a world, like we literally live in a culture that is a spiritual buffet. You know the buffet? I don't even know if those are around since COVID, but oh, I want a little bit of this. I'll take a little bit of that. That's healthy. That's salad. I'm not eating that. I'll have this. Like, and you just create your own plate. That's exactly what our culture is like. Oh, a little New Age spirituality sprinkled in here. Oh, a little bit of the Catholic tradition over here. Oh, a little bit of pluralism over here. Oh, yes, you know, this part of Jesus I like. That's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. That is not what we're called to at all. And I want you to turn in your Bible now To John chapter one, I just picked out a couple of scriptures to illustrate this. Here's the point. We don't make our own construct of who God is. We turn to God's word and he tells us who he is. See the difference there? See the difference there? So here's who Jesus is. John one, here's a bunch of verses here. In the beginning was the word. Who's the word? Jesus is the word. If you said God, you get points for that too. That's, that's fine. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. We're talking about Jesus here. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 9 says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He, Jesus, was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become what? children of God who were born not of blood or the will of the flesh, or the will of man, but of God. And the word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. That's who Jesus is. Now turn in your Bible to Colossians chapter one. Colossians 1, 15, I think. This is one of my most favorite scriptures. This makes absolutely plain who Jesus is. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, how many things were created? All things were created, whether oh, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before how many things? All All things. And in in him, how many things? All All things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, how much of the fullness of God? All. All of the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself how many things? This is so fun. All things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Listen to me. I could turn you to page after page after page to tell you exactly who Jesus is. We don't have to guess. We don't have to make our own. It's right here in the word. He is the word of God. He is God, fully God and fully man. He is the God who created all things. He made this whole deal, friends. He is above it all. He is the God against whom we we have sinned against whom we have rebelled and turned our backs and broken his laws and broken trust and broken faith and broken relationship. And we've subjected ourselves to death and to his wrath and to punishment and to condemnation. That's Jesus. He is the God in spite of the situation we have put ourselves in, He's the God who loves us so much that He would step down from His throne in glory and step into our mess, our dumpster fire, and He would walk through it with us, and He would die in our place for us, even though how many sins did He have of His own to die for? Zero. He died for yours and for mine because He loves you. That's who Jesus is. He's the God who died and was buried in the ground, but He, because He, because Was perfect and spotless and without sin. He rose from the grave. It couldn't hold him because he is greater. He is victorious. He is more powerful. He is amazing. He is the God who has ascended back into heaven. He is sitting at the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning and building his kingdom and building his church. And he is the God who's going to return one day to bring all of this to a close, to usher in a new kingdom, a new heaven, a new earth. And those of us who believe in him and belong to him will go and be with him in that place. We will be in his presence forever. That is the Jesus we're talking about. He's the Jesus that before whom every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. That is who he is. Somebody help me out today about him. Yes. So the point is, We don't have to guess, we don't have to make up our own version, and it's all or nothing, okay? We don't take out the scissors and cut and paste our own little Jesus. It's all or nothing. This is who he is. So the Jesus that is all love and and no hard things to say, that ain't the real Jesus. The woke Jesus, the coddling Jesus, the self-help therapist Jesus, the Jesus who some people are the other way. They say, oh, he's all wrath. He's angry. He's mean. He doesn't love me. That is not the Jesus we read about in here. So pick up the book and read about him because that's who he is. You are building on the wrong foundation if you're looking to any other Jesus that you fabricated in your mind. Does that make sense? I need to take a breath, so please say yes. You got to accept all of Jesus, not just some of them. I got to get a drink. Just excuse me. Okay, number four, gotta keep moving. You, a a sign that you are building on the wrong foundation is if you are afraid to let your faith go public. Somebody says, I gotta go to the bathroom right now or something. Here it is here. For fear of the Jews, no one would speak openly about him. They thought, if I speak out even in any direction, I'm going to get in trouble. I'm going to stir up controversy. I'm going to get looked at funny. And if that does not describe, if that does not describe how we as Christians are sometimes, let me make it real. If that does not describe how I am sometimes, like, right? We have in our minds, I can't speak about them. I can't witness about him. I can't testify. I don't want to cause trouble. I, don't, I, I, heard, I heard somebody say this this week. Oh, if I speak about Jesus, it's going to cost me. It's going to co- it might cost me a relationship. It could cost me my job. People might look at me funny, hate me, make fun of me, think I'm weak, think I'm stupid, whatever. Listen to me. You, you want to know what that stuff is? I'll tell you what that stuff is. It's a tool of the enemy is what it is. Because of all the things that you could be doing as a Christian, the thing that Satan wants you to be doing the least is speaking openly about Jesus. Because listen to me, and you guys know this, because you've tasted and seen it. When the name of Jesus is proclaimed, when the message of Jesus is lived out and spoken, it changes lives. Satan loses ground in his kingdom. Things happen, things change. And he doesn't like that. So he is going to do everything he can do to convince you, yes, you, yes, me, to convince you in whatever situation you're in, I better not speak, better not share. And let's be real. Like we come up with lots of creative excuses, don't we? Oh, I know we do. Don't, don't look at me like that. I know we do. Oh, maybe next time. Oh, oh, I don't know if they're ready yet. Oh, there was, this is the game we play. That's the enemy. A- anything in you that would convince you, hmm, I feel like I have a stirring to like maybe speak up and share my faith with that person. Oh, but I'm feeling like a fight against that. You could probably safely assume that's not the Lord telling you not to do it, okay? That's a tool of the enemy. And like I said earlier, we, we worry, we fear. We fear what it's gonna cost us. Let me tell you something, Friends. Here's a news flash for you. If you're a follower of Jesus, it absolutely is going to cost you. There's no might or maybe about it, especially in this day and age in which we live. It's going to start costing us more and more to be followers of Jesus. More and more. You can remember that I said that, like just saying. This is the way the world's going. I want to tell you something else, though. There's really only one kind of Christian. There's not, oh, well, here's the Christians over here that, you know, they're the more of the evangelistic type and they share and they do this and, and then there's the kind over here, that, you know, I'll just live it out privately. No, no, there's one kind of Christian. There's one. There's not some that are marked out for this work of speaking about Jesus and sharing about Jesus and some that aren't. That's all of us. Only one type of Christian. And I wanna just read a couple of verses here Jesus says in Matthew ten thirty two, if you acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge you before the Father. But whoever denies me before men, I will deny before the Father. Think about that verse for a second. Good land. First Peter 2, 9 says that we as Christians are called to proclaim, say proclaim, proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We're to proclaim that to the world. Romans 10 says that faith comes through hearing, hearing the word of Christ. And how are they to believe in it if they have not heard it? Where are they going to hear it from? You and me. Matthew 5, 16 kind of takes a different route, but it's the same message. It says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and glorify your father who is in heaven. In other words, it's Yes, something that you say, like the gospel must be spoken, but let's live it out as well, right? Let's not be hypocritical in that. People should be able, when they look at me, to say, and you, oh, what's with that guy? He's super weird. No, there's something different about him because of the things that we do, right? So we need to live it out. It's in word and in deed. And again, If you've got an attitude in your life of boldness and kingdom-mindedness and your heart is how can I reflect Jesus today? I would submit you're someone that you get it. Okay, you get it. Because when you're anchored in Jesus, when your roots are deep in Jesus, when you've got that relationship with Jesus, it's going to show in you. It's going to rub off on you. When you really get on to his love and his grace and his goodness, friend and i'm saying i'm preaching to myself right here you can't help but want to share it but if we take this stance of oh i have an attitude of worry or fear or dread or i don't want anyone to know yes i'll live you know i'll live as a christian when i'm in my prayer closet but not when i'm in the office or at school or around my neighbors listen to me that's evidence that you're not grounded in christ as securely as you could be I'd remind you, we read this verse a couple weeks ago. 1 John 4 says, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. So if you are a person who claims the name of Jesus, but then you're afraid of what that might mean if that gets out, you're living in that, you're walking in that fear, that's evidence that you're being governed by the world and you're not being governed by the Holy Spirit. Preaching to myself, straight up. Nobody got me a full-length mirror up here yet. I've been asking for it for weeks. We got to testify. We got to live it out in word and in deed. Make sense? Okay. Two more to go then. Number five, sign that you are not building on the right foundation. The right foundation, once again, is a... Relationship with Jesus, a living, breathing, dynamic, vibrant relationship with Jesus, a sign that you're not right on that track as, as strongly as you could be, as you are seeking your own glory. I could really use the mirror on this one. We'll read this. It says, About the middle of the feast, Jesus went into the temple and he began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, my teaching is not, watch, watch how he deflects here, watch this. My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him Is true, and in him there is no falsehood. So, what's going on there is that Jesus is trying to just point a big arrow to God. He says, It's not, it's not like, don't get fussed about who is this man, where did he learn these things? He's trying to say, It's God, it's God, hello, it's God. We've talked about this word glory before. The word glory means the weight of something or the significance or the sheer magnificence and magnitude of it all. Glory pertains to like fame and renown and honor. And here's straight up how we are as a human race. A lot of times we're after our own glory. That's what we want. We have bought into this attitude of everybody should look at me, pay attention to me. Honor me, regard me, value me, cherish me. I have a niece who, when she was a little bit younger, like five say, we were at a family get together and it's noisy, there's kids running all around and she was trying to get the attention of the other kids but it was too loud, they couldn't hear her so she pipes up as loud as she could and she says, all attention to me. (laughs) And we have not let her hear the end of that one since. But that's how we are as people. That's how we are. I'm not, I'm not like she was a kid, but we do that as grown ups, right? We live in a way that we want everyone to notice us. And again, we're missing the point when it's like that. I want to tell you something. Life is not about you. It's about Jesus. Life is not about you. It's about Jesus. We were not made to pursue our own glory. We were made to give God the glory and live in light of his glory. Just the, the weight and the magnitude and the reality of who he is. We said a few weeks ago, John three thirty is the verse. It says, "He must increase and I must decrease." That is literally the pathway to peace as a Christian. It's not that you've got to puff out your chest and get up on the soapbox and everybody notice me. It's no, hey, less of me, more of Jesus. Think of how much things would be different if we all took on that attitude wouldn't have to be right all the time, wouldn't have to like throw the floodlight on me all the time. Think of how this would enable us to see clearly and to love God and to love each other better if we were not just out to get our own way. Oh, straight up, 1 Corinthians 13, love does not insist on its own way. Just came to my mind. When we're in about our own glory, that's what we want. I'm getting my way. It's all about me. The heart that seeks God's glory, the heart that says, God, I wanna be used by you for your kingdom, for your renown, for your honor, for your glory. It says in verse 17, that's the person that does God's will. How many of you wanna be in God's will in your life? Every hand, please. This is the, (laughs) I saw one hand in the back. (laughs) In order to do that, if you want to be in God's will, you can't be puffing out your chest and making it all about you. In order to do God's will, you gotta humble yourself. You gotta surrender yourself to him. You gotta give yourself to him, devote yourself to him. But if your goal, friends, is the opposite, if your goal in your life is self-exaltation, you're missing it. You're missing it. And this is, hard. this is a lifelong thing. We battle against this all the time. But the point is there. If you are in it for yourself and your own glory, you are not building on the right foundation because it's less of you and more of Jesus. That's how it's supposed to be. Anybody agree today? Good. Last one then. You can tell you're building on the wrong foundation when you're all rules and no heart. Let's read these verses here. Jesus is talking, he says, has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. There's a verse for you. Why do you seek to kill me? And the crowd answered, you have a demon. In other words, you're crazy, man. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one work and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And you will circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If the Sabbath... If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. What Jesus is talking about, he's referring back to John chapter 5 where he healed the guy who was crippled at the pool. Do you remember that? Good. Good. He's referring to that. People were really upset that he did that because he did it on the Sabbath, On the Sabbath day, you were supposed to rest. It was a day where you didn't do work. And when Jesus healed that guy and got him to take up his bed and walk, that was a work. That was a no-no. How could you do that? You're not following the rules. And the irony is that they missed the heart of what was going on entirely. We've talked about this. The Sabbath day was about rest. It was about wholeness. Jesus literally on the Sabbath made a man whole and well and they freaked out and they got mad. And before we're too hard on them for doing that, it's really easy for us to slip into that kind of spirit too. I would call that a religious spirit. How many of you know, we're not really supposed to super be religious? Yeah. A religious spirit is a spirit that's all about the rules. You've got to follow the rules. You've got to follow the traditions. Don't rock the boat. Do everything right. Keep up appearances. That's what these people were all about. They were so concerned about the rules. They thought in their minds, the way we're going to be right with God, the way we're going to be just good as people is we're going to follow the rules really well. And they missed the heart. And ultimately, Jesus is yes, concerned about your following of the rules, but he's more concerned about the condition of your heart. Because in a religious spirit, what happens is you start to get really fussed about doing everything right as though it's your performance that makes you right with God. Eh. You are not made right with God by anything that you do. You're made right with God because of what Jesus has done for you. We've talked about that. But when we get onto this religious track, that's a slippery slope. And the problem compounds because when when we are acting in this religious spirit, we start to get critical of other people. Because, hey, you and you are not doing as well as I'm doing. You're breaking the rules. You can't do that. Don't you know this is church? Don't you know that you're supposed to be this? You're supposed to be that? We can get critical, all the while forgetting that we ourselves do not follow the rules perfectly either. Jesus said, yet none of you keeps the law. Not any of us can do everything perfectly. But when you are fussed on the rules, that becomes your scorecard and you start to judge other people and evaluate other people based on their performance of the rules compared to your own. Notice the word relationship was in there zero times. Jesus says, don't judge by appearances. It's not just about you looking like you got it all together and you're following all the rules and commandments or, or better yet, church traditions, right? Like, oh, you're doing all the right things and, and, you know, and that's funny because anyway, it is funny. It's not about your external observation of the rules. It's about your internal condition of your heart. To judge with right judgment is to first look at yourself and say, how am I doing in my walk? How is my heart for Jesus? Am I walking with him? Am I surrendered to him? Am I yielding to him? Is my heart tender toward him? Or am I hardened and cold toward him? Am I just walking or going through the motions? See, again, like I said, the rule following is important. How many of you know it's important to follow God's rules? It is. But Jesus first looks at the heart, and here's the irony of it all. A heart that is set on religiosity and just following the rules above all else, that does not necessarily equal a good heart. But conversely, if your heart is good and tender and right before God, if your heart has been cleansed and made new by Jesus, that's going to compel you. I, just, I know this to be true. That's going to compel you to follow his rules anyway. It's not like when we say heart, we're throwing the rules out the window. No, if your heart is for Jesus, you're gonna wanna listen to him. John 14 says, if you love me, you're gonna follow my commands. It's just the way it works. It's about your heart, people. So those have been six signs that you may not be building on the right foundation. I'll be honest, this has been fun. This has been fun for me. And what I want us to do as we get ready to kind of move into the next part of our time together is Not for anybody to answer out loud, but how's it going for you? How's it going for me? Look at your life. Look at your walk. Are you in a place in your faith right now, say the last month, two months, six months, year, whatever? Are you in a place in your faith where you say, hey, look, I'm not perfect. I know I'm not perfect. Only Jesus is perfect, but. I'm doing my best to walk with him, I'm seeking him, I'm pursuing him, I'm pouring in, I'm in his word, I'm spending time in prayer, I'm really going after his heart, really pursuing that relationship with him. If that's you, I say, awesome, good for you, that's wonderful, because that is language of relationship, and that is the foundation that you and I are supposed to build upon. We cannot neglect the relationship. Maybe you would look at your life And you would say, Well, I'm not really sure that would describe me. Maybe you, in the last season of your life, for whatever reason, whatever has led you to this, maybe you're sort of just going through the motions. Maybe you are, yeah, coming to church once in a while, glad you're here, keep doing this. But maybe there's not really much of a spark there. Maybe there's not really much of a relationship and a walk there right now. Maybe you're. Bible is sitting on the shelf collecting dust, or it's propping up the short leg of the couch. Maybe you have not spent a whole lot of time in prayer. Maybe you have not really pursued and regarded the Lord and gone after that relationship. Here's what I want to say to you today. Regardless of what your scenario is, because however many of us are in the room, we're all probably slightly on a different spot on this. This word today is not a word of condemnation. It's a word of invitation, So whatever the last season of your life and your walk with Christ has looked like, good or bad, as long as today is called today, you have an opportunity to take a step in toward him.